We've been on a journey here uh, since the new year, diving into the book of Corinthians. Uh, We've woven through all kinds of uh, different themes and ideas. There's been some common themes that uh, we've seen uh, throughout this book. We've heard some things that have been hard to hear and hard for us uh, to apply to our lives, hard to take with us. Uh, Today, we're going to find the culmination of some things that we've been talking about, alluding to. As we're aware, uh, the community of Corinth, the church of Corinth, was struggling with Paul and with his ministry, struggling with uh, his authority. You see, that port community, which is so important to the ancient world, connecting the east and the west, was a community that many people went through, including a lot of itinerant preachers. These preachers had come in while Paul was up in Macedonia, and they had started to teach different things. They were charismatic in their approach, and people loved to follow them. They were also people who uh, started to push back on Paul and some of his themes. Paul has indirectly addressed them up to now, but today, as we dive into the text, we're going to see Paul directly address them and give his thoughts to them. This is a hard passage in some senses. I could imagine what it had been like in the ancient world, you know. The church of Corinth gathered together as Titus brings back this letter from Paul. As they gather together and they read the letter and hear what Paul is thinking, as they get to this part, it would have been awkward, uncomfortable. I'm sure some gasps would have been uh, a part of the, uh, uh, what had been heard in the fellowship. Because Paul makes no bones about it and what he thinks about the super apostles and who it is they are following. For sure, they would have been in the gathering. Uh, Talk about awkward uh, and difficult to navigate through. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. encourage you to bring your Bibles as there's something about having your Bible here, writing some notes, pondering, thinking, and taking it home with you, and continuing the conversation with God through the work of the Spirit. Here now from His Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, reading verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one in whom you received, or if you accept, or or if you accept, I'm sorry, a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I'm unskilled in speaking. I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. 
And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrain and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And, we'll, uh, and why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what am I doing? I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that in the uh, boasted mission they were on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it's not a surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as a servant of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let's take a moment to pray and then we'll dive into this. Father, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. Father, help us to understand the context that Paul is writing. Help us to appreciate the church that received these loving but strong words. Help us not to cast judgment on the church of Corinth, and in so doing, noticing the speck in their eye and not the log in our own. Father, instead, help us to be receptive to the truth of your message this morning. May our hearts be sensitive. May the things that seek to distract us be put aside. May the work of your Spirit complete its goals and initiatives in our lives. May we leave this place knowing that we've encountered you, the one true God. May we leave this place with the truth hidden in our hearts. And may it transform us into your likeness as we seek to apply it. And as the world, those who are lost, see us, may they see something different about us because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. May it be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's transitioning in his letter here. Uh, He's now going to deal with the heart of the issue. He's going to deal with these super apostles. That's the term that he refers to uh, them They've come in, uh, likely because it's a port community, and it's a common community, it's an affluent community, it's a wealthy community. They've come to the church of Corinth, and, and they're, they're peddling the word of God. They're distorting it for their own gain, for their own means. Paul's now going to kind of head on deal with the issue. <laughs> He's not going to walk around it. He's not going to sauce. He's just going to tell it like it is. And this is mildly uncomfortable. Notice how how he starts as he transitions and begins this difficult conversation. He starts by saying, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, let's journey together. This may seem a little bit Foolish. Now, in the ancient world, foolishness was understood in two ways. 
Uh, the book of Proverbs describes it's the foolish person who doesn't believe in God. It's the foolish person who doesn't acknowledge that there's a God. That's one understanding of this. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Rather, Paul's already made a reference to the foolishness in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. And in that context, what Paul says, it's the foolish person. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, it's, it's the person who's perishing who sees that the cross is foolishness. That's what Paul's referring to. In other words, what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, the cross seems absurd to those who are perishing. To those who are lost, it it doesn't make sense that God would come in the form of a person, that God would would enter into flesh, and more than that, that God would uh, uh, come and die on the cross for our sins. This is craziness. Now, if you grew up with this, if if you've been around Christian community much, if you've heard the gospel, if you've heard much proclamation, this becomes less and less foolish, and, and, and it really becomes the prize of the Christian faith. But for those who are perishing, it's foolishness. Why? Because God is God. Of all the ways that he could heal, of all the ways he could extend forgiveness, of all the ways he could build a bridge between those who are perishing and himself, why would he enter into humanity? Why would he leave the glory of heaven and dwell among us? Why would he subject himself to such punishment, the beating that he endured when they whipped him and thumped him? Why would he hang on the cross? This is foolishness. In the ancient world, the cross was anything, anything but glamorous. It it, it was everything but glamorous. The cross was uh, uh, despised by the ancient world. See, the Romans had invented a way to torture people and to keep the masses in control. And, And that was by these public executions. It was a prolonged death of shame. Why would God enter in and allow himself to be subjected to such an act? And yet he does. It's foolishness. See, what Paul is saying is, I, as Paul, an apostle, identify with Christ. It is he who saves me. More than that, I follow him. I pick up my cross and follow him him. See, Paul's way of walking out the Christian faith, Paul's way of being an apostle, we've talked about this much over the last few months, it was so contrary to the the way the world would seek or or see someone of influence and of power. You see, Paul Paul was a church planter who in his weakness and in his dependency on God Allow God to be honored and glorified. That was so contrary to uh, the church. This was foolishness. And Paul's now going to come in and he's going to push back against an outward reality that seems so exciting, that seems so accurate, that it seems so supernatural. And he's going to push back against that and say, no, there's a foolishness and I want you to bear with me. I want you to journey with me. He goes on to say, now at the core of his message, he feels a divine jealousy for the church of Corinth. 
In his mind, he understood that his reality with the church of Corinth wasn't a relationship as a, a CEO. The, the church of Corinth wasn't there for him and to prop him up. No, instead, the church of Corinth was one in which he loved. Look how he describes his relationship. He says, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin in Christ or to Christ. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that he has this jealousy, this protectiveness towards the church because in his mind, he views the church of Corinth as his daughter. It's his precious daughter. Uh, he was there when the church began. We, we learned about that as we discovered in the book of Acts that he was the one who started and birthed the church. He's been with them for 18 months, journeying with them. He, he's constantly concerned about them. This is his daughter, and he sees his relationship in that light. He says, listen, I betrothed you to one husband to be present as a pure virgin to Christ. See, Paul's relationship with the church isn't that of a CEO. The church isn't there for him. No, he is the father, the protective father who longs to protect the church, to see it come to its full capacity, its full potential in Christ. He longs that it would reach its potential. He longs that it would be well protected. The imagery here is so strong. Jesus Christ described himself as the groom to his disciples. And so Paul takes that imagery and he sort of sets the stage and says, I'm going to say some hard things because I love you. I'm not trying to wound you. Fathers who are here today, you, you, you've talked to your daughter maybe about hard realities. You, you know that experience. You love them enough to tell them the truth. It's difficult, but you know you have to because the road that they're on is not a good road. That's what Paul's talking about. Moms, you, you too would know what that's like, wouldn't you? you? You know what it's like when you have to correct, redirect, because the path that the child is on, it's, it's not a good one. And so out of your love, you hold your breath and you say what needs to be said instead of looking the other way. That's good parenting, isn't it? Many of us understand this. We've, we've had to do this in one way or another. Or we've experienced it from our own parents as they corrected us when we've gotten off track, when we've gone down a road that's just not healthy. That's the relationship here. Listen, Paul is in Macedonia. He's, he's up north of the church of Corinth. He, he doesn't need to say anything. He could just say, look, my work is done. I can carry on and let them sort it out. It's too difficult. They've rejected me. They, they don't want anything to do with me. I've been replaced by super apostles. He could do all of that. But no, at the core of Paul is this love, this passion as a father has for his daughter. He has for the church of Corinth. And his desire is that they would come to know the full potential they have in Christ. They're on the road to destruction. And so he has to say something. He can't let it go. There's a cost. There's, a, there's great difficulty in sharing these hard truths. But Paul, with great courage, compassion, and decisiveness, he says the truth to the church. He goes on to say this, I'm afraid... I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Huh. What he's saying to the church, and he's already alluded to this a few times, is that we're in spiritual warfare. 
We're in spiritual warfare. Friends, we are in spiritual warfare, every one of us. The God of this world seeks to destroy us. The God of this world seeks to uh, uh, rob and pillage us. There there is no good intention with the God of this world. And and we need to recognize that the God of this world is at work all around us. We need not fear it. But we need to know how to stand in the midst of it. Friends, the God of this world is at work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, listen. If the gospel is veiled from those who are perishing, it's veiled to those in whom the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of those who do not believe. Friends, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And that's what Paul's alluding to. This ancient text that he's pointing us to, this book of Genesis, this true account of a real situation between Eve and the serpent. He's bringing to light to the circumstances of the church at Corinth. Friends, if it's a true encounter, a true reality in the Garden of Eden, if it's a true encounter in in the church of Corinth, friends, we would be... We would be amiss not to recognize the battle that is raging all around us. He says, a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Friends, um, when you consider the Genesis account in chapter 3 and what happened, there's a few things that we can kind of draw from. First of all, there's a couple things that we don't understand and in many ways should humble us. First of all, Adam and Eve were created perfect in every way. When God completed his creation, he looked and said, it is good. We aren't perfect. We're broken. We struggle with our thoughts, with our actions. We struggle with the things that we do. We struggle with guilt, shame, and fear. We don't know perfection. Adam and Eve knew perfection, and yet they were deceived. Oh, that should humble us, friends. Uh, Secondly, not only were they perfect, they had a unique relationship with God. Uh, The Bible describes it as them walking together in the cool of the garden. They had a unique relationship with God, one that we don't know, not yet. Mm. And so even in the midst of the reality that, that they walked with God and they knew him uniquely, and in the midst of the reality that they were in perfection, they they were perfect, they had not sinned, they were still deceived. Friends, the reason I bring that up is because we don't have those advantages, and sometimes in our pride, in our arrogance, we think to ourselves that we're not really in a battle, that the enemy of our soul isn't really that concerned with us. We, We think to ourselves that we can stand, but let's remember what Paul said last week in chapter 10, that the war that is waged against us isn't battled through flesh. No, it's through the principalities. It's imperative that we put on the full armor of God. It's imperative that the righteousness of Christ protects our our minds, that that we wear the breastplates and the girdle of truth, that the shield of faith is ours. As the fiery darts come against us, that we have the the, uh, sandals of the gospel of peace, and yes, friends, that we have the sword of the Spirit, or we will not succeed. See, the enemy of our soul seeks to destroy 
And that's what this passage is all about. The enemy has come in. His cunningness has sought to uh, uh, send this church astray, to lead them astray from the sincerity and pure devotion in Christ. Friends, we need to be aware. We do. I've said many a times over the last little bit, and it bears repeating as often as possible, the most important meeting in the church is when we gather together and humble ourselves and call on his name. It's the most important meeting in the church. Why? Because as we enter into spiritual warfare, if we seek to advance the kingdom in Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, and Parkland County, and and, and throughout the nation and the world, it begins not by flesh and blood but by the principalities. Friends, if you're free tonight, come. Come and be a part uh, of a worship service in a time where we pray that God would advance the kingdom. It's the most important meeting we have. Come tonight and, and celebrate what God is doing in people's lives as they walk through the waters of baptism. And friends, even that is spiritual warfare. If you walk through the waters of baptism, you will remember the battle up to the moment you're baptized and you will well remember the week after, I'm sure, of the battle that follows when you publicly declare that you are one of Christ's followers. It's spiritual warfare. Friends, we are in a battle, and that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying to the church of Corinth, listen, just as Eve was deceived by his cunning, your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Be careful, he's saying. Be careful. The enemy of our soul is at work. Seeking to what? Distort the truth. Look what he says next. For if someone comes... And proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed? Isn't that interesting? Who would think that the enemy's tactics would be to come in and preach a different Jesus? Yet at the core of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the central person to the faith of Christ. And when you get Jesus wrong, everything else is wrong. Every cult starts because of a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, a a lack of an appreciation of his deity, that he was completely God and completely man meshed together, that he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Listen, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, look out, is what he's saying. Friends, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when I came among you, when I came among you, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is the most important person that we could know. Jesus is the person that we need to lean into to understand. Paul's caution is is that Jesus would somehow be distorted. The super apostles used the term Jesus and they distorted him. And thus Paul gives a caution. Friends, we need to know Christ. We need to understand who he is. We need to dive into God's word and allow the truth of God's word to transform our minds and our hearts that we would align with Christ. Listen, the enemy of our soul seeks to destroy and to uh, distort the person of Christ. And Paul is saying, be careful. 
Second, if anyone comes among you and proclaims another Jesus, be careful. Or if, some, uh, or if you've received a different spirit from the one you received, be careful. Friends, when we receive Christ, the spirit of the living God falls upon us and seals us. That's what the scripture says. He seals us according to the book of Ephesians. Not only does he seal us, he begins to fill us and change us and transform us. He starts to give fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That is the fruit of the spirit of the living God who dwells within us. Beyond that, friends, the spirit of the living God gives us supernatural gifts, whether that's gifts of, of evangelism or gifts of kindness or mercy, gifts of administration or, or, or gifts of preaching or teaching or prophecy or healing. He gives us gifts. Friends, if the spirit that is at work isn't the one that was received by the, work, uh, by the ministry that Paul had first brought, be careful. That's his warning. Test the spirits. See if they align with Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, if one comes and you've accepted a different gospel, he goes on to say, from the one you accepted, be careful. Friends, the gospel is so simple, it's so profound, isn't it? It's so simple. You share the gospel with people and it seems like it seems like they just can't wrap their minds around it. How can it be? Shouldn't there be more? What do you mean? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is simply this. is that we've sinned. We've sinned. Each one of us has sinned. We've missed the mark in word, action, or deed. We have. Each one of us. And sin leads to death. It leads to death. That's the consequence of sin. Death physically, but not just physically. There's a reality that we will be judged. And, and we will be separated from God in a place called hell. Why? Because of our sin. He is perfect in every way. This is the gospel. And in our lostness, in our brokenness, in our sin, God saw us and knew that we could not make a way. Nothing we could do could get us back to God. And so he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus, who entered in and became fully man and fully human. He dwelt among us. He left the glory of heaven and dwelt among us. This is the gospel. He healed the sick and proved that he was God. He had power over time and space, proving he was God. More than that, he forgave sin. Pick up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. He was God. And then... The perfect sacrifice, the one who, who need not die, for he never sinned, died on the cross for you and for me. This is the gospel. And whoever calls on his name shall be saved. Whoever asks for forgiveness of sin, who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, who repents and turns to him and away from his wicked ways, they shall be saved. That's the gospel. If someone comes and says, no, 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 that's not enough. What else do I have to do? What else do I have to contribute? We need to be careful. The gospel's almost too simple. We receive the finished work of the cross. See, the book of Galatians is the only other time when Paul is so strong when it comes to dealing with the gospel and the message. 
In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, If any come among you, whether angel or, or other, and preaches a gospel contrary to the one that we preach, let him be accursed. Hmm. In other words, if someone comes and declares a gospel that isn't by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ, may they be accursed. May they spend an eternity separated from God. For that's where they lead people who believe that. Oh, there's a principle in Scripture, and I've said it many times. When the Bible says it once, listen. When it says it twice, you better sit up. Listen, never get it wrong. Verse 9 says, listen to me. As I said once, so I say again. If anyone comes and preaches a different gospel, may he be accursed. You see, in Galatia, the province that they gathered, the, the Judaizers were coming in and they were saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, Jesus is good. Yes, it's great. He died on the cross. But listen, you need to do more to prove that you're committed. You must be circumcised. And Paul says, no. No, no, salvation by grace through faith alone. The just shall live by faith. Friends, Paul is warning the church of Corinth, and by extension, he's warning us. If someone comes and proclaims a different Jesus, sit up, listen, be careful. If someone comes and presents a different spirit, sit up, listen, be careful. If someone comes and preaches a different gospel, sit up, listen, be careful. Look what he says to the church of Corinth. You, you put up with it readily enough. You're not correcting. You're not stopping. You're listening. More than that, you're endorsing the ministry. Hmm. Paul goes after the apostles. Look what he says next. Indeed, indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. I, I love this. Paul, Paul is in no way a people pleaser. He's not insecure about his call that God has placed on his life. He's not insecure about his ministry. He says, listen, yeah, these super apostles are something else. Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, they've convinced you. Yeah, they've got charisma. I, I'm not inferior. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Hmm. He labels them super apostles. It's a bit of play on words. I mean, that's what these apostles would long for, that they wouldn't just be apostles, but super apostles. Look what Paul says next in verse 6. He says, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I love Paul's humility. I love his self-awareness. I love that he just says it like it is. Yeah, yeah okay, maybe I'm not the best speaker, the best orator. Maybe that's not my thing. <laughs> maybe I don't measure up in skill. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Remember, Paul starts the passage saying, Let, let's, let's enter into a little bit of foolishness. Bear with me. Church of Corinth, you're measuring, your metric, it's wrong. It's wrong. And you're being led astray by the cunning of the devil the serpent. Get your eyes focused on Christ. Get your eyes focused on the Holy Spirit. Get your eyes focused on the gospel. Paul then just reminds them of the foolishness that he's been in, engaged in. Did I, did I commit a sin? Verse 7. A sin of humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. 
See, that was an issue with the church of Corinth. They, they liked to give. They liked to contribute. They, they liked to, to pay back. They didn't like things for free. But Paul, Paul, by the direction of the spirit of the living God, by the direction of Christ, when he began his ministry, not knowing where it would lead, says, look, I didn't even take anything from you. In other words, what he's saying is, I lived out the gospel. See, the gospel is a free gift that we receive. We can't pay for it. Many times, doing open-air ministry over the years, we would preach on the street corner, and you'd see people transformed by the gospel. It was awesome. People would be weeping as they encounter Christ. And no sooner would we wrap up the meeting and people would come up and try to pay us for coming out and standing and preaching the gospel. We'd always say, no. If I take that, you'll miss the mark. You'll misunderstand. No. We're here because of the gospel. It's a free gift. Paul went to the church of Corinth. He charged them nothing. No, instead, he preached the gospel. He lived out the gospel of grace, refusing to receive anything from them. He goes on to say, I robbed other churches. It's a plan. He's exaggerating to drive his point home. No, other churches were a part of the mission is what he's saying. They, They carried the burden, the debt of the gospel. They supported him as he served the church of Corinth. When I was with you and was in need, he said, I didn't want to burden you. And so the brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied my needs. Now remember, Macedonia is Philippi and Thessalonica. They were suffering greatly for the gospel. It's them. The church that had not, that gave in spite of the reality. And the church that had everything, the church of Corinth, that that would have had resources because of this, this community, this poor community, they weren't paying He says, no, no, Macedonia took care of it. I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. You see, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced. It won't be. Why? Because do I not love you? I love you. I care about you. It's not about money. I do it because I can't help myself. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't miss the mark. He's saying, listen, I'm saying some hard things, but at the core, it's because I love you. And I want you to understand. I want you to reach your full potential. I betrothed you to Christ. Don't get off the rails. Not now. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that in their boasting mission, they work on the same terms as we do. The same, we're the same, but they aren't. Because in my weakness, I'm made strong. It's all about Christ and his ministry. It's about the work of the Spirit. It's about the gospel message. It's not about charisma. No, no, that's missing the mark. He goes on to say this, strongest words in the New Testament against anyone 
Words that would have been hard to read, hard to hear. Because all of a sudden, Paul speaks with laser accuracy. For such men, they are false prophets, apostles, I'm sorry. Deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul goes right to the heart of the issue. He makes no bones about it. The imagery he's using here in regards to the angel of light is found in Isaiah 14 when talking about Lucifer, the fallen morning star. He's saying to the church, listen, you've been deceived. You've been deceived by Satan, by Lucifer, who's using these super apostles to lead you astray. There's all these false appearances And Paul's calling back to righteousness. He's calling back to a dependency on Christ, a dependency on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He's calling back to the gospel, the gospel that in our brokenness, Christ died for us. By grace and through faith, we are saved. He's calling them back to the purity of the gospel. So it's no surprise, he wraps up. It's no surprise, If his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Friends, there's a judgment here that Paul is speaking about. It's a judgment that those who peddle this kind of message, a judgment that those who distort the person of Jesus Christ and his spirit, there's a judgment. And their end will correspond to their deeds. If people lead people away from the truth of the gospel and in so doing, they enter into a Christless eternity, a place called hell, they too will receive that judgment. Friends, it's of paramount importance that we understand, that we understand who Jesus is. It's of paramount importance that we understand who the Spirit is. It is important that we understand the gospel. Friends, hide the word of God in your heart. Hide the word of God in your heart. Listen, if Adam and Eve in their perfection were fooled by the cunning of the enemy, how much more vulnerable are we? We cannot just carry on through life, not making Jesus Christ our priority, not making his word our priority. We need to understand that we are in a spiritual battle and it rages all around us and the stakes are high. But the truth of God's word is so powerful, so great. In our weakness, he's made strong. Amen? Let's stand together. Friends, who's Jesus Christ to you? Maybe this day you've come. You didn't know how important, how important it is to recognize, to acknowledge what Jesus has done. He loves you. That's why he came and died on the cross for you and for your sin. If you've never called on his name, there's no better day than today. There's no better time than now. Call on his name. Admit your sin. Admit your brokenness. Admit that you deserve judgment, death. And if the price of your sin is death, admit that that's what you deserve. Don't hedge in any way. Don't try to explain away your sin. Just just come clean. And accept and receive the love of God who sent his son to die in your place. He died on the cross for your sin. Receive it.
Call on his name. And he'll save you. For now and all eternity, he loves you that much. Friends, if you're here and you've received Christ, and you've forgotten that you're in a spiritual battle and you're fighting with flesh, oh, friends, heed the words of Paul as he shares with the church of Corinth. Heed the words that we battle not with flesh. No. No, we battle with his word who sets us free. Make it a priority. We battle by knowing who Christ is. Determine as you leave this place that you will seek Christ. Yes, tomorrow morning you will get up early and make him your priority. His word your priority, your lead, your guide. Friends, seek Christ. The battle is raging. And Satan only wants to seek and destroy He's out for you and he's out for me. But fear not. There's no need to be afraid. For Jesus Christ is the victor. Amen? Amen. And so, Lord, here we are. In our weakness, you are glorified. We can't fight the battle alone. We need you. And so come, we pray. Change and conform our hearts. Take our minds and expand them that we could understand who you are, how great you are, and how wonderful a salvation you've extended to us. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us when we haven't made you our priority. Forgive us when we've used flesh to battle the principalities. Change our ways, we pray. And help us to walk in step with you. And Father, for those who've never called on your name, even now, may they hear your sweet, tender voice saying, come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened, for I will give rest. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.